Hey, while you're still standing, don't sit down. Take your, take your word and let's go to Galatians 5. We're going to go Galatians 5. And then also Philippians chapter 4. I'm just going to read the two verses in Galatians. You guys have, should have this committed to memory now. If, if this is your first time here, uh, praise God for you. And then when you leave this place, hopefully you'll be starting to get this committed to memory as well. But this is what Paul writes to the churches in the region of Galatia. Chapter 5, just two verses here, talking about the fruit of the Spirit, verse, verses 22 and 23. And if we will, let's, let's, um, let's say these together as we've been doing for the last few weeks. Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I wanted to spice it up a little bit today, so I went to the message. The message was written by a man named Eugene Peterson who wanted to put the Bible in a type of English that anybody and everybody could understand. It's not really a, a translation as much as it is a, a paraphrase or a commentary. And this is how he words those two verses. He says, but what happens when we live God's way or when we're led by the Spirit? He says he brings gifts into our lives much the same way fruit appears in an orchard things like affection for others which would be which would be there you go exuberance about life which would be serenity that's an easy one peace and that's where we're going today he says we develop a willingness to stick with things a sense of compassion in the heart and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. He says, we find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and to direct our energies wisely. He says, legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. What, what that says, and that's why Paul says, against such things there is no law, is because this idea of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, they are not a product of your effort. If they were a product of your effort, they would not be called the fruit of the Spirit. They would be called the effort of Max. They would be called the effort of Wendy or the effort of Brad. But instead, they're not the effort of Max or Wendy or Brad. They are the fruit of the Spirit living inside a person like Max or like Wendy or like Brad or like you or like me, who because we are submitted to the Holy Spirit, it naturally produces itself through our lives as we continually submit ourselves more and more and more every single day to the Lordship of Jesus and to the leading of the Spirit. How many of you know that, you know that, in 10 years, hopefully, if you continue on track, you will be expressing the fruit of the Spirit in a greater way than you are today. Because it's, it, there's a progression to that. Just like hopefully 10 years ago, you're a lot further now than you were then. This is the old saying, praise God, um, I'm not who I'm gonna be, but I'm, praise God, I'm not who I used to be, right? And so, Thank God for that. And then, if you will, take your Bible, flip over a few pages to Philippians chapter 4. Just a few. 
Philippians chapter 4, three verses here. Rejoice in the Lord always. Who do we rejoice in? Right. Not in circumstances or situations, right? We rejoice in the... And when do we do it? Not just when things are going our way. Not just when life is giving us cupcakes and roses, but sometimes... I can't think of anything. What's the opposite of cupcakes and roses? Dirt? <laughs> Dirt? I was thinking broccoli and green beans. Yeah. And spinach. This is going south fast. Brussels sprouts. Okay, okay, okay. Calm down. At least I got everybody involved, right? No, we rejoice in the Lord always. Paul even goes as far as to say, he says, I say it again. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness or let your gentleness be known to everyone. In other words, be careful how you treat people. Be careful how you are around people when you don't think they're looking, and when you don't think they're watching, because a lot of times they are. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand, or the Lord is close. And because he's close, don't be anxious about anything. I'm going to say that sentence again. Do not be anxious about anything. Oh, Pastor Drew, you don't, you don't know what's going on in my family right now. You, you, don't, you don't know that phone call that I got last week. You don't know about that letter I got in the mail. You don't know about that thing that that person is doing to me that's putting me in this situation that I'm in. And I don't. But the Lord is near. So don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything, right? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving or with a grateful heart, a heart that looks back and it says, you know, God, I'm facing this situation right now and I don't know how I'm gonna get through it, but Lord, I look back at the situations in my life that I faced in the past and somehow, some way, by your goodness and by your grace, you got me through that and Lord, I'm thankful that you've got me through that and so God, I come to you with a thankful heart that you brought me through that and I trust you that you'll bring me through this. That's what Paul's saying. He says, by, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Aren't you thankful that you can go straight to the Father and say, Lord, I, I, I got a need. In verse 7, it's beautiful. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all. And come on, how many of you understand that God's peace, it don't make sense. It doesn't make sense. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When I think about that, my mind goes to noise-canceling headphones. Come on, any parents in the room thankful for noise-canceling headphones? Oh, what? The baby was crying? I'm so sorry I didn't hear that. I Right? <laughs> this is my sermon. Let me preach it. You know, but what's beautiful about noise-canceling headphones, what's interesting to me about them is when we think about headphones, we think about the speaker, right? But you know, in noise-canceling headphones, there's actually more microphones than there are speakers in it. And what, what noise-canceling headphones does is it listens to the noise, the, the sounds, whether it's a baby crying or traffic or whatever it may be, coming in, and it emits, it hears that sound, 
that frequency and it emits an opposing frequency that cancels that sound that was incoming out. And the beautiful thing about the peace of God and something that would do us well to understand as we go into this message is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding does not necessarily change what's happening out here, but it guards and protects what's happening in here, right? Just like those headphones, they don't change the noise out here, but it changes what gets in here. The peace of God does the exact same thing. It doesn't always change what's happening out here, but it protects what's happening in here. Hey, come on, help me out now. That's good stuff. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for peace that passes understanding. And, God, I pray, as we prayed earlier, that you will anoint your word, that you'll help me preach it with authority, with power, and clarity. God, I pray, really, though, I just pray that you would help me step aside so that you can do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, one more time. Let's give the Lord praise as you're seated today. Amen. Talking about peace today, but last week we talked about, three of you were here, and we talked about joy, joy. You know, and we talked about this last week, I think we often associate joy with what does happen to me. You know, I get joyful if I get a raise, or I get joyful if I get a compliment. I get, I'm, I have joy if things are going my way, but Hopefully, if you were here, and, and if you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen to that message. We, we understand that joy is not a product of what happens to me. Joy is actually a product of what God has done in me and what God is doing for me. But that being said, I do think that we do often wrongly associate joy with things that happen to us. With that thought in mind, I think we often associate peace with things that don't happen to us. Does that make sense? Like, you know, no conflict, got peace. No chaos, means you got peace. No worries, right, means you got peace. And, and, and this is true, but it's not completely true, and that's why it's dangerous. Because the only thing more dangerous than a lie is something that's only true in part. And it's not dangerous and it's going to get you in trouble, but that it's dangerous it's going to lead you to believe that peace is nothing more than the absence of conflict or the absence of of problems. But in reality, peace isn't the absence of problems, it's the presence of the person who is the prince of peace. I'm going to say it again. Peace isn't the absence of problems, but rather it is the presence of the person who is the prince of peace. We know him as Jesus, right? Peace happens because sin has tried and and, and has unmade us, but Jesus has come and he has made all things new again. I think that's worth a, a clap offering to the Lord right there. But going back to that idea that peace being an absence of problems or the absence of conflict, and we do need to explore that because in large part, not whole, but in large part, peace is lost due to conflict. And conflict was introduced to the universe because of one thing, three-letter thing, the worst thing there ever has been and never will be. What's that three-letter thing? Anybody want to take a guess? Who said sin? Sin. Y'all were here first service. I'm just kidding. That's great. Sin. Yeah, sin. And so how was creation, or rather, let me say it like this, how was, was the universe or whatever introduced to sin? Any guesses? 
Satan, yeah, yeah, good job. Satan, we can read about this in the books of Ezekiel and Isaiah where Satan had it in his heart or the devil or Lucifer who was an angel. He was like the worship leader of heaven who got tired of giving glory to God and decided that he wanted to receive glory from himself, for himself. And so he says that, you know, I will ascend to the, to the throne of God. I will be like the most high. I will set myself above the Lord. And in doing so, when Jesus even makes reference to this in the New Testament, he was cast out of heaven, right? And so the first sin was introduced by Satan. He is the, the, the father of lies. He is the one who introduced sin into the universe. And then humanity, when was humanity introduced to sin? In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent in the garden deceives Adam and Eve. He tells them, listen, if you want to be like God, then you've got to eat this fruit, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And just and trivia right here for Bible trivia people, it wasn't an apple. We don't know what it was, but it wasn't an apple. Everybody's like, Eve ate the apple. No, 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 no. Don't blame the apple, okay? We don't know. Don't blame Eve either because Adam was standing right there beside her. So all the ladies said amen, right? Yeah, amen. All the men said, mm-hmm. Okay, whatever. And, and, and I get asked this question every so often, and it's a good question. Why was, there, why was that tree in the garden? Like, if you're God and you're like, you know what? I'm going to make creation. I'm going to create people. I'm going to plant this garden. I'm going to put this really good tree over here. I'm going to put this other tree over here that I'm just going to tell them not to eat from. And, and my, my, my thought is this, that, that if God didn't plant the other tree and tell them you couldn't eat it, then he didn't give them a choice. And if he didn't give them a choice, he didn't create beings who were capable of love. He created robots who had no choice but to obey. Does that make sense? And so, so sin is introduced to humanity when, when Adam and Eve succumb to the deception that if they eat this piece of fruit, they will be like God. And what's so tragic about that is that they were already like God. They were already created in the image and likeness of God. And the serpent said, if you eat this, you'll be like God. And they, they gave up what they had trying to get what they already had. Does that make sense? Because sin unmakes. And then what's so crazy is from Genesis chapter 3 to Genesis chapter 4, we see the progression of sin because sin will always take you further and it will always cost you more than you ever intended for it to. Because we go in one passage, in one chapter, the sin is eating a piece of fruit that you were told not to eat. But in the next chapter, Genesis chapter 4, sin occurs when Cain kills his brother Abel because he was jealous that Abel's sacrifice was received by the Lord, but Cain's was not. That's why I think the scriptures tell us, and hear my heart here, the scriptures tell us flee even the appearance of evil. I think, I think too often we as Christians, when we ask questions like, is it a sin if, or do you think God doesn't like it if, I, I think... I think we need to be really careful when we approach things in the world that way because the scripture is very clear. Listen, it doesn't matter what the sin is. It doesn't matter what, how small it may appear. It will cost you more. It will take you further. And it will turn into something that you never could have imagined that it would turn into. That's why the scriptures say flee even the appearance of evil because sin is dangerous. It is destructive. It's the most destructive force in, in the universe, more destructive than black holes, more destructive than supernova, more destructive than an election year even. It's, it's, sin is dangerous. Come on, that was, please laugh. Give me courtesy laughter at least. You got, thank you. Thank you very much. So sin creates conflict. 
Conflict destroys peace. The two primary universal conflicts that we're going to talk about today that have to be reconciled in order for us to have peace are the first one being the conflict between humanity and divinity, between human beings and God, and the second one being between humans and humans. And so if sin is the source of conflict, then guess not what, but guess who is the cure for conflict? Jesus. He's our only avenue to peace, peace with God and peace with others. 600 years before the incarnation occurred, before Christmas as we know it and celebrate it today occurred, the prophet Isaiah, who prophesied a lot, he prophesied about Israel's exile, he prophesied about some things that would happen to the end times, but I think Isaiah is the most popular for his prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah, the one who would be called Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ, who's name literally means salvation. And so Isaiah says this 600 years before Jesus was incarnate on the earth. He says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Iniquities is a, is a good fancy Bible word for sin. Yeah. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. I want to tell you today, apart from Jesus paying the penalty for our sin and enduring the punishment of the cross, there could be no peace with God. I'm going to say it again. Apart from Jesus paying the penalty for our sin and enduring the punishment of the cross, there could be no peace peace with God. Praise God for the cross. Praise God for Jesus. Praise God for the resurrection. Praise God for what he's done. Come on, yeah. This is why Paul tells the church at Colossae, he says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile. Say that word, reconcile. He was through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or or in earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. In other words, through the power of his blood that was shed on the cross, Jesus has made peace for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Karev's making his way up here. I, uh, I wanted to just show you this. I know we all know what a cross looks like, <clears throat> but I thought it would be helpful today because I want to show you how the cross is representative of a couple of different things that Jesus has accomplished in the area of peace. Thank you, Karev. Now, first and foremost, let's just acknowledge something about the cross. The cross, we, we look at it today, and it is the, the, the most synonymous symbol associated with Christianity, right? But, but we look at it, and we see a thing of beauty, you know, right? I've got two crosses tattooed on my body, right? Can I just, can I just make this come in today's parallel for us? 2,000 years ago, Having something like this on your body or something like this as a decoration or something like this draped around your neck would be the equivalent today of us having an electric chair, you know, up here saying how beautiful this is, right? Or a noose or a gas chamber or a firing squad of some sorts. I don't know. Because this right here is not an object 2,000 years ago. It is today. But this was not an object of beauty. 
This was an object of shame, something that the Romans used to torture and execute people that they deemed unfit for society. I think it would do us well for a moment to, to just meditate on the fact that God became a human, that he endured all of the aspects of humanity, so much so that at the end of his earthly life, he laid it down so that human beings for which he himself was giving up his life for them, chose to nail him to this piece of wood, something similar to this, it would have been much larger, and let himself be hung on a cross, dying a sinner's death in one of the most painful ways that a human could be executed. I think that says something that we need to just meditate on every so often because I know it's so easy to come to church. It's so easy to do the Christian thing. It's so easy to read your Bible. It's so easy to pray your prayers and do all the right stuff and to allow ourselves to get numb to the price that Jesus paid for you and I. And so on this cross, we have it facing two different directions, vertically and horizontally. Now, this vertical beam is representative of how Jesus has made peace between us and God. Again, I want to say this too. That's another thing. So easy for us to take for granted for the fact that we can walk into the presence of God, that we can go before our Heavenly Father. And because of the price that Jesus paid on the cross, we don't have to do so with shame. We don't have to do so with guilt. We don't have to do so with fear. But according to the writer of Hebrews, that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. And knowing that he will be there to help us in our time of need. Come on, can we give the Lord another praise offering for that? And so Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I just want to reemphasize this. Don't underestimate the beauty of having peace with God. I want to tell you, if, if any of you in this room struggle with that voice of shame, that voice of guilt, that voice of condemnation that tells you you're not good enough, you're not loved enough, you don't pray enough, you don't do this enough. Now, there is conviction that the Lord gives, but that's a sweet feeling. That, that's a, a drawing to him. But what I'm talking about are those feelings, those voices that we hear that might push us away. I want you to know that's not the voice of your father. Now, that voice is coming straight from the pit of hell that wants to keep you from connecting with your father that Jesus has made peace with God for us and we can approach him with confidence. We can approach him with boldness. We can approach him knowing that Jesus has put on himself the punishment so that we could have peace with God. Amen? Amen. He says we've, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's this cheesy saying, uh, but it's, it's so funny. Uh, no God, no peace. I'm waiting on the screen. <laughs> There it is. No, no, no God, no peace. And then cano God, right? Because English is weird. Cano peace, right? No God, no peace. No God, no peace. But this isn't the only kind of peace that the cross supplies for us. There's also the horizontal beam. Now, this one's a little more controversial, a little more difficult to explain because we think so much that the cross is just to make peace with God, but the cross also exists so that there can be peace between us, so that there can be peace between people. This is why Paul, when he writes the church at Ephesus, he says this. He says, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. 
He united Jews and Gentiles. What's the Gentiles? Anybody know? Anyone that's not a Jew, right? He united Jews and Gentiles because before Jesus made peace, the world was divided into two different groups of people, essentially. There was the people of God and there was not the people of God. But because of the cross of Christ, there is no more division, no more longer does circumcision in the flesh matter, no longer does observing the Sabbath. These, I'm not saying that's not important, but I'm saying that what matters is faith alone in Christ who gave himself up on the cross for our sin and for our salvation, right? <laughs> and so... That means that there's no more Jew, there's no more Gentile, there's no more, there's no more division. And so like in the room today, it would be like th this idea of, you know, on the count of three, everybody tell me where you're from. One, two, three. I heard California. That's the only one I heard. California. Everything else. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, on the count of three, tell me your favorite band. One, two, three. You guys are like, I can't say that in church. That's what y'all thought, wasn't it? That boy needs to stop canceling concerts. Uh, on the count of three, what's your favorite color? Purple. Pur purple. Pur who's, that's a lot of purple people in the room, right? On the count of three, what's your favorite football team? One, two, three. <laughs> What'd you say? But here's the thing. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what, what your favorite this or that is. It doesn't matter what you like. It doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter because all are one in Christ Jesus. Paul tells uh, the Galatians in Galatians 3.28, There is therefore neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. Praise God for that. Hey, Karev, thank you very much, buddy. Come on, give it up for Karev. Jesus unites us, and, and if, if you're a believer in Christ, whether you live in the United States, whether you live in Sudan, whether you live in South Korea, we are connected. We are one in Christ. Listen, can I, can I tell you something else? Whether you are Baptist or, or Methodist or non-denominational, which for most people means Baptist-ish, right? Right? Yeah. Or Assemblies of God or Pentecostal or uh, all different kinds. It, we may worship in different ways. We may have different fashions. We may have different trends. We may have different styles. But listen, if we're all worshiping Jesus, come on, we're one in Christ. And something else that's really important for us to remember here is that people are not our enemy. Even if they're not a believer, even if they're not a follower of Jesus, they are not our enemy. Even if they don't vote like you would vote, even if they don't see the world like you see the world, even if they entertain certain sins that, that you know and that I know and the Word of God certainly knows are, are, are wrong and, and against the way of God, it doesn't matter. They're not our enemy. Now listen to me, hear my heart, hear my words. They might be in some way, fashion, or another serving our enemy, right? I'm trying to be careful here because I'm not trying to group a bunch of people into, they, I'm not saying they even know it, but they're not our enemy. They're our mission. I'm going to say it again. They're not our enemy. They're our mission. No matter their gender, no matter their nationality, no matter the color of their skin, no matter their political affiliation, no matter the socioeconomic status, no matter their beliefs about God, no matter their beliefs about the Bible, no matter their beliefs about you, no matter their beliefs about the economy, no matter their beliefs about the government, no matter their beliefs about anything, at the end of it all, they're not our enemy. They are our mission. 
John the Baptist, one of my favorite people in all of Scripture. There's not a lot said about him, though. Very, very little said about him when you consider what Jesus said about him. Jesus said about John the Baptist that nobody that's ever been born has been greater than John the Baptist. He's the greatest prophet to ever live, which is wild when you think about John the Baptist compared to Moses or Elijah, people like that. But that's what Jesus said, and Jesus said it. I'm going to believe it, right? But comparatively, there's not a lot said about him. Isaiah prophesies about him, and then later on, the gospel writers quote Isaiah, talking about John the Baptist would be the man that prepares the way for the Lord. What I love about that is I realize that really and truly, that's the ministry that you and I have each been called to. Because I can't save anybody. And you know, if you believe something different than me about God or the world or whatever hot topic you want to name, the chances of me sitting down and arguing with you or debating with you and changing your mind, let's just be real, that's, next, that's not going to happen. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you ain't going to change my mind either. Like, I'm stubborn, okay? And, but, but what I can do is be a person who makes, weight the, the way, makes straight the way of the Lord. That's what John the Baptist did, right? Making that connection so that God can use me as nothing more than a platform. And a, let me tell you something. There's too many. I just feel the Lord in this. So many Christians, and I've been there, we're seeking to be on the platform, but in reality, we've been called to be the platform that Jesus is the one that stands on. We're called to be the platform that Jesus can be on, that Jesus can stand on, that Jesus can walk on, so that we can be the one that, that makes straight the road, so that Jesus can make a connection with somebody and change their life. You guys okay? And so true peace, lasting peace, Peace with people, peace with God. It only comes through the finished work of the cross that was accomplished by Jesus' death and resurrection. Amen? Amen. But, but as I said earlier, peace is more than just the absence of conflict. In, in your home, uh, you and your wife may not be actively fighting, but if you're not speaking and there may not be any conflict, that don't mean there's peace there, Right? Right? Right. In fact, in fact, sometimes the silence is evidence of anything but peace. Amen? Amen. In in the Hebrew, the word for peace is shalom. And oftentimes Jews would greet each other with shalom. And essentially it means to be complete or to experience wholeness. And the peace that that God gives us, the the peace that God wants for us, the peace that Jesus, through his death, purchased for us, it doesn't just remove conflict. It makes us whole. It makes us who we were meant to be before sin entered our world. It makes our relationship with God what it was supposed to be before sin ever had a say-so. And it also, as the body of Christ, makes our relationship with one another what it should be and what it would have been apart from sin ever having any say-so in it. Right? And I got up this morning and looked at my phone and looked at the temperature And praise God, it was 39 degrees outside. Now give me three months and I'll be complaining about that. But today, I was happy about it. Because you know what that means? Does anybody know what that means? Nope, it means Christmas is here. 
It means Christmas is here. Now, you, you might be one of those people that are like, oh, we can't celebrate Christmas early. Here's the deal. It's not my fault you don't love Jesus, okay? I'm going to celebrate Christmas whenever I get good and ready to celebrate Christmas. I'll put my tree up whenever I get good and ready to let Kristen put the tree up. I'm, we're going to celebrate Christmas, okay? And when we get to Thanksgiving, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving because we're thankful about Jesus, right? Okay? All right. And so I got up this morning, put my flannel on. Praise God for flannels. Uh, there was a poll on Facebook. I think Lindsay did it on her Lifehouse page, flannels or hoodies. I'm, I'm both, but mostly flannels. Amen? But... but in, in the vein of Christmas, I want to go to a verse in Isaiah that is often associated with Christmas, but it's more than just a Christmas verse. In fact, we've been saying about it this morning in a Christian song that isn't specifically a Christmas song, right? And this is what Isaiah the prophet says, looking forward to the coming of Jesus. He says in Isaiah 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Aren't you so thankful that you have a God in heaven, a God, the God of the universe, the God who made it all, the God who holds it all, the God who knows it all, that when you have a question and when you have a need, and when you need some direction, you don't have to go through a mediator, but because of the finished work of Jesus that has created peace between humanity and divinity, we can go straight to the throne of God and ask for help in our time of need, right? He's our wonderful counselor. He's our mighty God. The same God that made the mountains is the same God that in your life, when you face what looked like immovable mountains, he can say through you because you have faith to that mountain, be removed and cast in the sea because he's a mighty God. Come on, you gonna help me out or just look at me weird? He's, he's our everlasting father. When I was 14 years old, I lost my earthly father. He passed away and over the course of the next year and then after I became a Christian, I discovered that through that process that God was revealing himself to me as the father who would never pass away because he is my everlasting father who will never leave me, who will never leave you, never forsake you. Come on, praise God for that. And then his name is Prince of Peace. In Hebrew, that is Sar Shalom. He's the captain of tranquility. He's the one that when he shows up, peace has no choice but to exist in his presence, right? When he enters the room, chaos has to run away in fear because he is the one who commands peace, be still, and it has no choice but to obey. Man, come on now, help me out. He says of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. In other words, where he, listen to this, this is important, where he is in charge, his peace reigns. And as his government increases, so does his peace. Now, let me say it like this. I think we all really enjoy and, and appreciate the fact that we can call Jesus our Savior. But that's only half of who he has to be in our lives for us to truly follow him. He has to also be our Lord. So let me say it like this. Only those living under God's government can truly experience God's peace. Only those yeah, I love Jesus. Yeah, but do you do what he says? Do you, do, you, do you 
believe what he said. Not just believe, yeah, I believe that. No, 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 no. Don't tell me you believe something because you have the intellectual assent to say I agree with that. Tell me you believe it because the product of your life shows that you believe it. Right? Only those living under God's government can experience God's peace. Let me give you an example, like an illustration from my life. This is a bad illustration, but it's the best I can come up with. As a student, as a child, I was a good student. I, um, I, I, just the Lord blessed me with a memory. I can just remember things. I can read something one time and remember it for the rest of my life. If my wife tells me something important, I will forget it the next day. And, and I don't know, that just maybe he's making fun of her. Maybe that's just the way the Lord picks on her a little bit. Yeah, it's not my fault at all. Um, this is my wife, if you're a first time here at LifeHouse, and not just some random lady I'm talking to in the front. <laughs> but I was, I was a pretty good student. Uh, but I had one issue. I despised homework. I, can I, any witnesses in the house for that? My philosophy was, listen, Miss Teacher, if I can, I'm here eight hours, and if you can't get it done in eight hours, that's your fault, not mine. <laughs> so what I thought, I'm not, and listen, to any teachers in the house, I love you, please don't leave our church over that. Um, <laughs> Remember, God's made peace between us. That's your, so. And so when I was in third grade, I had this teacher. Her name was Miss Edwards, and she was a very sweet lady, one of my favorite teachers I ever had. And I, was, I did great in her class. I mean, I'm telling you, I'd make A's on every test, but I, I just wouldn't do homework. I just, I just wouldn't do it. For whatever reason, it just wasn't in me to do homework. I would rather play video games or, or, or play outside, or I'd rather do chores than do homework, at least. Because for me, homework is essentially busy work, right? I didn't, I already learned this information. It's not my fault the other kids in class need help. I, I learned it, right? That was, I was, you know, the Lord saved me from myself too, okay? And so one day, Miss Edwards, she tells me, she says, Drew, if you don't turn in your homework tomorrow, I'm going to give you a paddling, right? Children, so this is when the teacher would take you in the hall and beat you with a stick of wood, okay? I know you don't know what that is anymore. Uh, <laughs> Kylie, Kylie. <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny. That was great. Okay, I got to recover from that. So Miss Edwards says, as I was saying, if you don't turn your homework in tomorrow, you're getting a paddling. So I go home that afternoon. I got my homework and I go to my house. I was a latchkey kid. I got home. I was home for four or five hours before my parents ever got home. And uh, it was great. Um, and, and so guess what I did when I got home? Not my homework. Because I was convinced, like, Miss Edwards loves me. She, she, she loves me. I've got, I've got a straight, I got an A in her class. It's not like I need to do this stuff. Like, I know the material. And so I didn't do my homework. I'd do whatever else I was going to do that night or whatever. And parents get home, the obligatory ask before bed, you do your homework. Mm-hmm, sure, yeah, uh-huh, I did that. And go to bed. And as I, as I was laying down that night, you know, it's kind of like this feeling of like, man, you know, maybe I should have done my homework. Maybe, you know, maybe I should have done that. Because now I can't sleep because I'm worried about it. I'm like, I don't want to paddling. Like, that's not going to be good. And it's not really the pain of the paddling. It's mostly the shame of the paddling, right? And so I'm like, well, you know, whatever. So I go to sleep. I wake up the next morning. And, and I, I'm like kind of nauseous, right? I'm like, man, I don't feel right. Like, I, I'm, 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 I'm nervous. You know, I'm anxious. So I tell, tell my parents, I'm like, hey, I don't feel great. 
uh, maybe I shouldn't go to school today. And, you know, because I wasn't vomiting and had a 150-degree temperature, I still had to go to school because it was 1993, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so, so it's like, well, you know, you're going to school regardless because if we leave you here all day, you'll burn the house down. So I go to school, and, man, I'm like, I'm, I'm anxious, you know. I'm just, I'm struggling, like, I'm trying to, like, find ways to get this homework done before at whatever time it was to be turned in. And long story still long. I, I don't get the homework done. Miss Edwards is like, hey, turn your homework in. And I'm like, Miss Edwards, I don't have it. And she said, all right, go out in the hall. And I'm like, oh my goodness, all right, this is real. This is happening. So I walk out in the hallway and Miss Edwards walks out and she goes to the next, to the next classroom. She knocks on the door and she says, Miss McCann, I need a witness. Because apparently in 1993, if you're going to beat a kid, you had to have somebody to watch you do it. And so so, yeah, that's how it went, right? And so Mr. Can walks out, and these are this this true story, just stuff really. These are real people, real names, and um, and so she walks out, and Miss Miss Edwards says, "All right, you know," and she gives me a paddling, and I'm like, oh, that was wasn't that bad." And so then, I, as I'm walking back into the room, this is when it gets bad. I mean, this is when I knew life as I had known it before it was over. She looks at me, and she puts her hands on my shoulder. She says, "Okay, Drew, I'm going to call your dad." And I'm going to tell him, you've gotten in trouble for not doing your homework and you got a paddling today. To which at that point, I thought, why don't you just take that paddle and shove it through my eyeball and kill me? <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm going to lose my life this evening. So I go home. Again, remember, I'm a latchkey kid. I'm home well before my parents. I go home. I, I go inside. I look at my chore list, and I do all the chores, like vacuum the carpet, like, put, like wash the dishes, make my parents' bed, like everything. Do my homework too, right? Like, yeah, I'll do my homework tonight, okay? I do all the stuff. I'm like going above and beyond, you know, if, all the things. My parents get home, and I don't, like, it was so bad, I have no memory of it. I must have blacked out. Um. It was bad. I just know it was bad. And all, the reason why I say that whole story is, one, because it's funny, but, but two, because I just want to point this out to you. And whether you're in third grade, whether you're in, in, in 12th grade, or whether you're 30, or whether you're 80, this is still relevant to us today. That, that if you will submit to the authorities that God has put over you, specifically God himself first, and then other authorities that he's put over you. And this, children, come on, listen, I know, parents, you better help me out here. Kids, this means your parents as well. Submitting to those authorities in your life, loving them and honoring them. But, but parents, this also means that you submit to proper authorities in your life. That if your kids see you disrespecting the authority that God's placed over you, don't be surprised when they disrespect your authority, right? And so the, the point being that if I would have just submitted to the authority that God had put over me and done what I was supposed to have done, those feelings of anxiety and that lack of peace wouldn't have been there, right? That's why God tells Israel, he says this in Isaiah 48, he says that you would have paid attention to my commands, that you would have just done what I said. Now you gotta remember when Isaiah writes this, they're about to go into 70 years of exile and Babylon's gonna conquer them and Jerusalem's gonna be ransacked and the temple's gonna be destroyed and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah, they're all prophesying that this is about to happen. And so, and the reason why this is about to happen is because they have not been doing what God said do. 
And so today I wanna, I wanna ask you like, have you been living the way God has asked you to live? Or have you been making those excuses? Like God, I know your word says tithe, but I, I got bills to pay God. God, I know your word uh, says, you know, that I should go to church, for, forsake not the assembling together of yourselves. But God, I got lakes to go fish. I got golf courses to go play. I got beds to sleep in too, right? I can just watch online after the fact. God, I, I know I should be in the word and I know I should be praying and I know I should be doing this and I know I should be doing that. But God, I just don't want to. I got other things I want to do. Or maybe it's something in your life that you are doing that you know you shouldn't do. God, I know I shouldn't be looking at those pictures. But she doesn't love me like she used to. Come on, are we okay? God, I know I shouldn't be talking to that man that way, but my husband doesn't talk to me that way anymore. God, I, I know, but that's why God says, listen, if you would have paid attention to my commands, if you would have just done what you know you should have done, because God doesn't give us commands, he doesn't give us rules, he doesn't give us law, because, of, because he wants us to be good enough to be loved by him. He gives those things to us because he loves us. And he says, listen, this is how you should live. And when you live this way, you'll have blessings. When you live this way, you'll walk in peace. When you live this way, you'll have joy. No, it doesn't mean everything's always gonna be okay, but it means that you'll always have an internal peace knowing that my God's the mighty God. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. And, and where his governance continues to increase, come on, because here's the thing. You know, I'm 38 now. I got saved when I was 15. I'm, I'm far more committed to Jesus and the way I live my life today at 38 than I was at 15. And, and God willing, and the Lord tarries, you know, at, at 58, I will be much more committed to his ways at 58 than I am now at 38. Because the goal of my life is that every single day and every single moment that his reign and rule in my life would increase, right? And every day I would inch a little closer to him, that I would come and look a little more like Jesus than I did the day before. And so the promise of scripture is that as his governance in my life increases, or maybe, let me say it like this. As the lordship of Jesus increases in my life, so does the prince of peace increase in my life. And, G and I've started this scripture 10 times. I haven't read it yet. Isaiah 48. God says that you would have paid attention to my commands. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. And I just want to encourage you today. Don't just follow Jesus as your savior, but make him Lord of your life because he is the Prince of Peace. Listen to what he says. Listen to what he says in his word. Listen to what he's speaking to you in, in, through his Holy Spirit. And even listen to what he says from other people or through other people, right? Because God speaks through people. The reason why I preach sermons is I hope that at least some part of what I say, you'll hear the Lord. And you may come up to me and you may say, you said this. And let me, my wife can tell you this. There's a bunch of times people will come to me and say, you said this and you said that. And I look at her and I'm like, I have no memory of saying that. I don't know if I said it. I, maybe they just heard it. Maybe I never even said it. That's the Lord speaking. Listen to his word. Do what he says. Do what he says. This is hard. Do what he says even when you don't want to do it. God, I don't want to give that up. Well, do, would you rather have peace or would you rather have it your way? 
Would you rather follow him as Lord or would you rather follow yourself as Lord? Because when you deny Jesus' lordship in your life, you become your own God. You become your own Lord. Do what he says even if you don't want to do it. Do what he says even if it doesn't make sense. Do what he says even if by the world's standards it's wrong or it's weird or it's dumb or it's stupid. Do what he says. And then you will enjoy his promise of peace. A peace that's not found in circumstances, but is found in him. One last verse, and then I'll, I'll be wrapping up. This is a great verse. You should memorize this verse. You write it on a sticky note this week. Put it in your phone. Make it your wallpaper on your phone. Learn this verse this week. If you don't already know it, John 14, 27, Jesus says to his disciples then as well as to his disciples today, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I love this. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace. What does that mean? That's interesting to me because what I actually think it means is Jesus is saying, he's saying, listen, the peace that I currently possess for myself, you know, the peace that I have is the Prince of Peace. I'll let you have that. I'll give that to you. And the way I give you peace, I don't give peace the way the world gives it to you. The world gives you peace by saying if you save this amount of money, you'll have peace. Or if you have this much in retirement, you'll have peace. Or if you work this many hours, you'll have peace. Or if you store up this much stuff, you'll have peace. Or if you buy this new thing, you'll have peace. No, no, no. Jesus says because all those other things, they're, they're wasting away. They're, they're, they're passing away. The peace I give you, it will last. It will endure. It is not predicated or, or dependent upon circumstances outside of you, but rather it is dependent upon what's happening in heaven. Come on. And don't let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Someone needs to hear that today. You're living in anxiety. Some days you, you feel sick physically because you're so just inside. You feel so torn and so worried. Maybe you don't even know what you're anxious about. You just struggle with anxiety. I pray today that God would show himself to you as your Prince of Peace. If you would, all across the room, bow your heads and close your eyes. I ask that no one would look around for a few moments. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit because when I am surrendered to the Holy Spirit, I am filled with the Holy Spirit. When I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm led by the Holy Spirit. And when I'm led by the Holy Spirit, I will live in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Again, in other words, when Jesus is the Lord of my life, He is my Prince of Peace. When Jesus is Lord of my finances, then I have peace in my finances. When Jesus is Lord of my job, even if things are crazy at work, when he's Lord of my job, he gives me peace. When Jesus is Lord over my family, instead of living in fear or worry about my marriage or about my children, I can have peace because I realize that God is Lord not just of my, my life, but he's Lord of my home, he's Lord of my kids, he's Lord of my family, he's Lord of my marriage.
that he's Lord of my friendships, that he's Lord of my, my church, that he's Lord of my body, that you know whatever the medical report may say, Jesus is Lord of my body so I can have peace, knowing that, that he's the one that gives me peace, he's the one that gives me healing, and he's the one that knows the, the number of my days. And so I don't have to live in fear over what may come, but I can live in peace because I know that he's shaped me and that he's formed me. That he could be Lord of the way I spend my time and therefore I have peace over my future. I don't live in fear of what may come one day when, but I can live in today. That's why he said, give us in the Lord's prayer this day. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough going on. Worry about today. Let God worry about tomorrow. He's already there because he's eternal. When he's Lord of my life, he's Lord of every aspect of my life. And so I can live at peace. And so today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want you to think about this. If there's an area of your life where you are fearful, if there's an area of your life where anxiety reigns, I would submit to you with all the love in my heart, while this may sound a little controversial, it's still true. If you are living in fear, if you are living in anxiety in any area of your life where peace is absent, that is an area of your life that you have yet to fully surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. That is an area of your life that you have yet to fully surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. And so today, if you would say, Pastor, more importantly, if you would say, Jesus, I am ready to surrender every aspect of my life to you. I'm ready to surrender my children to you. I'm ready to surrender my finances to you. I'm ready to surrender my future to you, my marriage to you, my body to you, my time to you. I'm ready to submit everything to you, to worry about nothing, to pray about everything so that I can experience the peace that passes understanding. If that's your heart and that is your prayer, right where you sit, would you just lift your hand high in the air, high in the air, high in the air, all over the room. Lord Jesus, God, that you would minister to these men and to these women, that you would touch them, that you would remind them, Lord, of who they are in Christ, that you would remind them of the price that was paid on the cross so that they could walk in freedom, not bondage, so that you would remind them that because of the cross that today they can have peace that passes understanding, that passes all human logic, that goes beyond all human understanding, that while around us the world may look like it's falling apart because but because of God of what you've done for us and what you've done in us, we can have peace.